This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Riker is the defenseman in the family. That puck rolls to McKinnon. Able to shed a man. Force one timer, score! Miko ranted and the moose got loose in the bottom of the circle. It's a power play goal. A win. That's right, a win for the Colorado Avalanche. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Club is on my right. Danny Bailey is in the booth. Calling it or texting the program at 303-831-1340. The Avs get it done in Washington. I guess the team, as you pointed out yesterday, Sandy, you had to beat. They do stop a four-game skid on the road. They get their first win on the road trip in the 6-3 victory against the Caps. They were up 2-0, and then um, a frustrating, delayed call ended up with uh, giving the Caps a power play that they cashed in, made it 2-1. It ended up being 2-2 at the end of the first but then it was more or less all abs after that with a cameo by uh, Alex Ovechkin on the power play in the uh, mid part of the third period. But the avalanche looked really, really good for the most part in this game. Uh, great to see Arturi Lekkonen go have the game. He had first star of the game, two goals, two assists to lead the way. But you had guys that scored multiple points. And Nathan McKinnon also had two assists. Bo, Bo Byram had two assists. Miko Rantanen, Miles Wood, and Ross Colton each had a goal and an assist. So we were talking about how they badly need second scoring, secondary scoring at least, from somewhere outside that top line. Well, last night, you got it. And you got it from Colton, and you got it from Wood. You also got an assist from Johansson, an assist from Cogliano. You got it kind of up and down the the forward ranks, and uh, a goal by Devon Taves on top of that as well. So at least last night, they looked like the more diverse offense that the Avs have been trying to put together. Logan O'Connor missed a game with lower body injury. And because Jared Bednar does nothing randomly, I am more than willing to give him credit because obviously the so-called Roaring Twenties line right. had to be reconfigured. And the decision was made to reconfigure that line in O'Connor's absence by inserting Lekkonen, who has played on the third line since coming back. He's played on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen since coming back. And it clicked last night. Now, the question is, will it click in Tampa? Can it be a viable second-line whether the Avalanche make a trade or not in the next three weeks or so for a viable second-line center, forward, whatever. Worked last night like a charm. Colton, Wood, and Lekkonen looked like they had played together for years. They were fast. They were physical. They were productive. Um, accumulated. Eight points last night. All three scored, Lekkonen twice, and only Lekkonen on that line played more than 13 minutes, 36 seconds, too. So they were productive without getting a ton of ice time. Uh, Lekkonen played over 18 minutes. The top line had four points. So it was good to see 
on a night when only one goal was scored by the top line out of the six they got to see that second line come through. Um, I thought it was a good game for Parise playing with Olofsson and Kiviranta. And even though he was demoted, how <laughs> is a fourth-line center, Ryan Johansson, had an assist. He was plus one in nine and a half minutes. Uh, Cogliano played well. I thought McDermott had a good game. And certainly they will welcome O'Connor back into the lineup. But I did like the look of that second line. And maybe you find a third line combination that is similar well, somehow to what that second generated last night. And then I think you're in uh, business. And I, I thought all around it was as good a collective game for the defensemen as we've seen certainly post all-star yeah yeah the the number of shots and and the variety of shots were not as high danger as we've seen of late jared bednar talked about some of that uh, the changes after the game and how the the team has started to come back together he said quote they know that their best chance at having success is not just how competitive they are but being connected as a group and playing with the right amount of detail there's a predictability to it, but it allows them to play fast, be highly effective. That sort of Wolfpack mentality where they're outworking like some of their line. opponents. Wolfpack mentality. And they're connected yeah. and to talk and in great support of one another. And that's really the idea. And and you talk about missing O'Connor. Of course, they're still out Valeri Nachushkin. Now you're talking about adding potentially those two guys to what you saw last night. I think that's why I tend to think, would it be nice to get some reinforcements on the forwards? I suppose it would, but... It really is that backup goaltender to me that seems to be the most critical spot. Oh, I, I agree with that. I, I'm just saying. But you bring O'Connor and the Chiefs. I, I think if you brought them back and maybe by the end of the month, we'll see. Uh, today's the 14th. We've got 29-day month of February this year. Uh, so I'd say two and a half, three weeks, they get everybody back, and then you can begin to tweak and maybe rearrange some of the line combinations. And it also, uh, I, I think that it creates an environment which you have to earn your minutes. And uh, for now, uh, I I like the fourth line and what it did last night. Um, I probably doesn't feel, uh, thrill Johansson to play nine and a half minutes, but I, I like the collective effort last night. Uh, I, you know, we we left the air yesterday. The Avalanche were up two to nothing. You know, eight minutes later, I get in my car and it's two to two. Uh, so uh, there were some anxious moments at the end of the first period and at the end of the third period last night. I thought before the two empty net goals made it six to three. But I agree with you for the most part, a solid performance. I want to go to the point you just made there because that's interesting. The idea of getting healthy enough now that guys can earn their minutes. Yeah. Because one of the things that has been challenging and, and Taves has given that hint, uh, Bednar has talked about it as well. Taves is great last night. It, it is He's kind great. of important. I think when you break this down for fans to understand this is human nature, right? It's just human nature, especially when you're tired, you're on a road trip. I don't, Suggest the guys aren't doing their job, but I think any of any of us, when we're tired, you know, you, you have a an expectation, you fulfill that expectation, and maybe it's hard to generate more than that. But your point, I think, is really sound because you have to earn your minutes because there's enough depth. Yeah. 
that if you want more time for yourself, you're going to have to carve it out and hop over somebody else on the team. That creates a healthy level of competitiveness in the environment where players are competing for time with one another, but they're still doing it within the structure of the team. And when a team is set up like that, you don't have a scenario as often where the coach or other players are questioning, saying that basically guys think they're playing hard, but they're not playing hard. If you know that your minutes can't get cut because there simply aren't enough players available, it is just human nature to put a little bit of it on cruise control here and there. We've all done that in, in spots like that in our lives. So it, that, that's a really sort of hidden point that's important that you made there, Sandy, that getting everyone healthy again creates that healthy competitive environment where guys want to play. You're in the NHL because you love hockey. You want to play. But you're going to have to earn it. And there's other very talented players on this team. So you have to push. You have to get better. You have to improve. And you have to play within the team structure because that's what the coaching staff wants you to do. Unless you do both, you're not going to get more minutes. And during the game last night, that's exactly what Taves told uh, Connor McGahey between periods one and two. You know, they gave up two quickies, as you know. And he said we got out of our structure there for a shift or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, listen, Taves was terrific last night. Uh, Scored a goal. Uh, played more than 21 minutes, very solid. Uh, I thought Gerard was good and earned his minutes last night. Bo Byram was good, as good as he's been in a while, even going back before the All-Star break. And he had a couple of points last night, and he was plus two, and he played almost 19 minutes. He earned his minutes. I'll give you the two forwards to me who are the most professional guys they've got right now. In terms of understanding, we are there. McKinnon. Well, yeah, McKinnon's going to get his minutes. Excluding McKinnon's going to get his minutes. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. We but know they, that. they, they, that's a given. They'll get minutes. Parise and Lekkinen. Well. And they earned their minutes last night. Parise didn't show up on the score sheet and played almost 14 and a half minutes. He earned his minutes. Lekkinen played 18 minutes plus last night. He earned his oh, minutes. Oh, he definitely earned those. This was his first multi-point game since back on October 21st. Uh, against Carolina, and following the game, Miko Rantanen, of course, you heard scoring that goal, had an opportunity to talk about Arturi Lekanen. Yeah, it was great. You know, it's not easy to come back when you miss 35 games or so. You know, it takes a while, but uh, he's such an elite player, so he showed up tonight, was our best player on the ice, you know, on the puck, penalty kill, power play, making plays, and got two goals, so I'm happy for him. I mean, he wasn't just the Avs' best player on the ice. He was the best player He was the, the best player. was named first star for yeah. a reason, but it was he really was good and to see that bounce back. And now uh, you're starting to see it a little bit. He has missed the time, but it seems like the game is coming back. The minutes continue to, to average up a little bit. You're starting, And now he's averaging this month. Uh, it's only obviously been a handful of games, only five, but averaging 18 minutes and 19 seconds on the ice. Yeah. So the things are trending in the right direction, and Lekkanen looks good as the minutes start to add up. And that's a good sign that he is really healthy again and being able to contribute. Yeah, and I, I thought that there have been signs in other games. but Yeah, even when he hasn't gone on the score sheet, there have been some signs. Well, what I, I saw it in the third period at New Jersey a week ago last night when he got moved up at the top line mm-hmm. with McKinnon and Rantanen. And, and the Azure an down 3-1, and, and they tied at 3-3, and he was a big part of that, and I thought he was terrific in that third period. But uh, eventually they, they put 
uh, Drouin back up there, and uh, Drouin still up there. And I, I thought Drouin played okay last night. Not great. I thought he played okay. But I, I think maybe without having to play Lekkonen with McKinnon and Ranton, now you've found two guys that he can play with, uh, certainly two guys who at their best, and they were at their best last night, have a 200-foot consciousness, I yes. call it. <laughs> and, and we know Lekkonen brings that all the time to the best of his capability. Yeah, and- but it, you know, what we saw in spurts, we saw for basically an entire game last night from Arturi Lekkonen. Think think about this with Lekkonen, too, because we know he's one of the Avs' very best defenders on puck and even when he's uh, off the puck. And he does that with a lot of, of stick handling because he's not a big guy. He's 5'11", 180. In the 19 games he's played this season, he's had four penalty minutes. He's taken two penalties in total. As one of the, the toughest guys on puck that the Avalanche have, the, the most penalty minutes he's ever taken in a season it was all the way back in 28-2019 when he played all 82 for Montreal and he only took 32 minutes. So this well, is a guy that not only plays, you know, in football we talk about lockdown defense, but doesn't commit penalties when he does it. It's a, it's a major thing that does not get onto the score sheet that makes a big difference for the Avs. During the Montreal Canadiens dynasty in the late 1970s, uh, they were known for... Their flashiness, right? You know, the old flying Frenchman moniker, um, which goes back to the fifties, actually, <laughs> with the Montreal Canadiens, because they had a dynasty uh, in the fifties, uh, a sort of dynasty for parts of the sixties, and then in the seventies, uh, mid to late seventies, of course, they were the dominant team in the league. And uh, I remember a two-season period where they lost just twenty games. And so you're naturally drawn to their great offensive stars. But I thought, apart from Lafleur, the most valuable player on those teams, and maybe I'd throw Larry Robinson in there too, the most valuable other than those two is Bob Gainey. And I'm not comparing Arturi Lekkonen, who at one time, as you know, played for the Canadians, right. with Bob Gainey, however, however, Bob Gainey was physical. Uh, Bob Gainey was a master technician as a checking forward who could also score goals. You know, he could score 20 goals just because he was so responsible as a defensive player. He'd get his opportunities, and Bowman played him a ton. I think Lekkonen has the same kind of mentality that Bob Gainey does. The scoring is a bonus. But the Avs need his scoring because they don't have secondary I, scoring I like otherwise. that comparison because, you know, Bob Gainey's a Hall of Famer. Yes, but he's, and I'm not saying Arturi no, Lekkonen is a Hall of but Famer. But he's a Hall of However, Famer. However, he's a big game player. He's a Hall of Famer with only 500 career points. 501 right. to be exact for right. Gainey. Uh, that's not really... right. He's those, not in the Hall of Fame because he scored 501 stats. points. Right. It's because, it's well, Parks, he won five cups in the Selkie four well, times. And yes. That's, and well, that's where. That's right. He was the best at something. Right. And what he was best at, reflected by the Selkie awards, 
is the best defensive forward in hockey year after year after year for a very, very long time, both before and after the Canadians were a dynasty. Lekkanen obviously comes up big in the game. It was nice to see Bo Byram come up big as well yeah. to assist, as you pointed out, because it has been an underwhelming campaign for Bo Byram. Unfortunately, he was bad and healthy for most of it, but also has been one of those guys that has not stood out. For a player that the Avs really felt were go- was going to be a star, uh, it's been difficult. But he did get a good game last night, the pair of assists, and, and seemed to get a little more pep in his step. Here's what Byram told Altitude after the game. I thought we came out and competed hard. Uh, I think that was a big thing. Um, you know, we kind of had a sour taste in our mouth about how we um, performed in that Florida game. So um, we came out hard to kind of let them slip back into the game there. But um, I thought it was a pretty uh, full 60-minute effort. Interesting, of course, because he's talking about collective. Right. And, you know, hockey players are conditioned not to talk about themselves individually. Right. But, but when Taves made his that comment, best game back, of 2024. We suggested that Byram was probably one of the guys he was to talking. whom Taves was referring. Yeah. And so to not only have maybe your best game of the year, but point out specifically the 60-minute effort, Yeah, I think that's kind of message well, received. <laughs> I, I, I think the collective references he was making there applied to him as an individual. He yes. was more competitive last night. And it's 2-2 when he sets up Lekkonen for the go-ahead goal. And, of course... Though they were threatened, they were never tied after that. It, it went from 3-2 to 4-2, and then 4-3 on the Ovechkin goal, and and, and finally the two empty netters uh, at the end uh, to make it 6-3. But I, I thought the score reflected the way the game went for the most part, and I thought Bednar had a great line after the game. He said, oftentimes when you're coming out of a slump, mm-hmm. right, just need the big effort and you need to pay attention to the right things. You don't need to pitch a perfect game. You know, a team on a losing streak in baseball doesn't need its stopper to pitch a shutout or a no hitter or a perfect game. Just need a quality start and scratch for a few runs. And I I thought, Actually, the goals were kind of grinder goals last night. They weren't yeah, it wasn't, spectacular. Yeah, it wasn't flashy. And again, five of the six goals came from people not named McKinnon or Ratman. But I love how you, you pointed out that, you know, it, like in baseball, you just need someone to go out there and get a quality start. Alexander Georgiev felt much the same. He said after the game, a couple of good games for me lately, but the game just didn't go well for us. I knew if I played my game that the guys would find a way we got the W. Nice to get that feeling. That's kind of um, the mindset. Just a little with, more confidence all, in the guys. With all due respect, I would say one good game. One good game. I agree. <laughs> one good game. And, the Florida game where they lost four to nothing, he played a lot better than yeah. the team around him played. And I don't believe actually that, that was happened. What, and I don't believe it happened last night either. I, I thought Gurgit was fine. 24 saves. He was, he was, shots, he was fine. 889. He wasn't he was special. Fine. But uh, the Avs didn't need it. They got the win. They will keep it going. They'll go back uh, to Florida where they will take on the Tampa Bay Lightning to finish off the six-game road trip. They will do that tomorrow. The puck drop is at 5. The Denver Nuggets will be in action tonight for their last game prior to the All-Star break. And if a couple players don't play, they'll get a nice long break 
something that the Nuggets would probably prefer. We'll uh, hypothesize next on Miley Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Nuggets will complete their not first half, I suppose, because it's really closer to even two thirds than it is a right. half, but they will. Complete their pre-All-Star break portion of their schedule tonight against the Sacramento Kings. Nuggets two games out of first in the Western Conference. Sacramento is sitting at eighth in a very tight clump of the teams (laughs) from five to eight. So the the Western Conference has uh, the the sort of log jam at the very top with Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, and the, the Nuggets all separated by two. But then you look at the Suns, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Kings. They're all separated by one and a half. Yeah. So there is a lot of uh, fluidity in the standings. The Kings on the road, 15-14. The Nuggets at home, 21-4. But after the return and then subsequent departure of Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who has been dealing with uh, hamstring soreness, and Jamal Murray, who's been dealing with shin splints, holding them out like we talked about last night. Bilateral tibia inflammation. Inflammation to be uh, technical. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, inflamed tibia. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Don't call them shin splints. No, they're not shin splints anymore. But both of them are, are questionable for tonight. When they say questionable, I presume not playing, because if they don't play them, both men would get nine days off to rest. Right. And this is where the Nuggets have gotten better, and Michael Malone has gotten better at playing the long game. Is this a game you'd like to win? Yeah, you're only two games out of first in the West. Yeah, I I, I don't think you time, want to go into the break on a three-game losing streak. Right, and Malone's made that it. point. But that's I, I don't think even that, that means worth risking he's going to make yeah, Murray and or Pope. I, I don't think that means that either one is going to play tonight. He's he's trying to get everybody else. And, and you know what? I think it's a fortuitous bit of scheduling, actually, that they get the Kings back home after getting slaughtered last Friday night in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think Sacramento won't play the way they did on Friday night. Uh, I guarantee you their starters will play 30 minutes tonight. Uh, I think four of the five starters played under 30 minutes on Friday night. Uh, the Nuggets will know before the game begins what's going on with Murray and Caldwell. Right. And I think they will adjust accordingly. Yeah, I think I mean, Reggie Jackson I think will, I'd be will stunned starting. if I played. I really would. Uh, we'll be starting. And uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, Where would you Maybe go? Reggie Jackson and Christian, Christian Brown, Brown start. That's what I would do. I, that, that's what I would do if I yeah. were the Nuggets. I'd go ahead and, and give them that time. And the front court's fine. Yeah. Front court's okay. You're going to need more scoring from Michael Porter Jr. tonight and probably more from Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Uh yeah, but it, it, I would like to actually see Christian Brown get starters minutes. Yep, and kind of get his game. Is, there's nothing really wrong with his game. No, it, it just I, hasn't I actually taken thought he played forward. okay. But it, but in it Milwaukee. seems to me that he's lost a little of not in not in Milwaukee, but over the course of the season, defensively. 
I, I that's where I, I think see the he's difference. lost the. Uh, I think he's actually lost some of the aggressiveness on the yeah. offensive side too. Well, maybe. I, I I mean I think the idea in the off season was that he needed to improve his three point shot because that's that's where he was going to be open, and you know the the the, the scouting report is it on him is to give him that right. shot. And, and you know, he's one of the guys, uh, I'm sorry, the only thing that bugs me about the Nuggets, and maybe I make too much of this, is the pace at which they play. They're either last or second to last in the league in pace. And I think more than any other player, that hurts Christian Brown. Because a lot of his production, and it was true at Kansas, it, it, it comes in transition. Right. And the Nuggets don't do transition. They really they don't. They do. I mean, obviously, at, at least not of, on the road. They don't. Now at home, they run. I think a little more often. They talk about running more at home because the altitude almost forces you. If you're in good shape, and the Nuggets are, it almost forces you to run because you know the opposition will dry up and blow away. And when the Nuggets lose at home, it's because they don't. And they get a little stagnant, and they start settling for jumpers, and the other team has a chance to rest on defense, and then they can use their energy on the offensive end of the floor. But I think Brown is hurt by that. Uh, the other guy I think of is hurt by that is Peyton Watson. Uh, he's better when they run. Yeah. And those are, those are the two young players I think of when, when they don't run as much uh, those guys are less. Effective. That's a, that's a good point. And we talk about that bench crew, even if uh, a couple of them are starting tonight about how they have to continue to mature and evolve. And it makes sense in a certain capacity that as the team is built around Nikola Jokic and embodies really Nikola Jokic's style of play and Nikola Jokic is, uh, if not a plotter, certainly not a guy that's sprinting up and down the court. And so, They've taken that on. But as you get your next generation of younger players, these guys are gazelles. That they're flying all over well, the place. But, but, but uh, Jokic's ability as an outlet passer can trigger the fast break. He doesn't have to sprint up and down the floor. Although, I think in transition as a middleman, he's terrific. So, that's going to be one of the challenges for the, for the Nuggets, I think, over not only this year, but in a couple of years to come. Because you almost want to run a different offense for the second team and the second unit when Jokic is off the floor because you have Brown and, and Watson who are better playing at speed. Right. And at their ages, at, they're going to be better at that. A guy like Strother is better getting a shot at so. speed. And so, so in the bench unit, the idea of really mixing it up, and, and we've seen teams do this. I think back to those bad boy Pistons teams that uh, not as if they were all that slow, but, you know, Bill Ambeer's in the middle. Uh, it, it was a little more of a half-court set led by Isaiah Thomas. But then, off, coming off the bench, you had Vinny the Microwave Johnson. And the idea behind that, they ran under Chuck Daly, that second unit of the Pistons, almost ran a very different pace. Well, sure. And when Rodman, especially when Rodman and Sally were coming off the bench, right. two terrific uh, players. Uh, that wasn't When that, it comes to athleticism. Those weren't half-court sets those guys no, were no, running. They were just no, going out and No, get I mean, there was more freelancing, actually, uh, when they were on and the And the floor. Nuggets could probably do that. Yeah. Right. But it's right. it's going to take mean, Jokic an can play. Uh, Jokic can play any way you want to play. Correct. Uh, and it, it'll be effective. He'll find a way to be effective no matter how you play. I think what happens, um, especially on the road, 
is that when the pace slows, uh, they're more susceptible to getting blown out. I, I, I looked today, and they've lost 18 games. And I was surprised to see that they've been blown out eight times. That, that seemed high to me, higher than it should be. But that is the fact. That's losses by 10 or more points. Basically, I'm looking at those games as blowouts. And they've lost eight games by 10 or more points. Uh, Boston, uh, for example, I don't know, Boston's lost six fewer games. Boston's only been blown out four times right. this year. And out of the 12 losses, only four have been blowouts. Two-thirds, they probably could have won, including the game against the Nuggets. I mean, that could have tilted oh, the other way, yeah, too. easily. And, and, you know, part of the Nugget superiority, I think, that works especially well in the playoffs is Nuggets win close games. Now, last year in the playoffs, uh, I think they got blown out once by Phoenix. But the other yeah, three losses that were first all loss games. in Phoenix. Yeah, first was, loss in Phoenix was a blowout. Was more right. one-sided. But the second loss was something like 129, yep. 124, right something like that. I mean, they were right in the game. Could have won it. Um, and I, I think you stay in games more often when when you can push the pace, especially here and early on in the game. And the Nuggets don't get that kind of advantage at home often enough. Listen, they're a terrific home team. Twenty-four. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining about the rate at which they win. I just think it could be easier, right? And I, I, I was thinking of that today. Strangely enough, I was reading the story about uh, the 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes we'll, getting we'll fired. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. And and it, it, and and the word was it, well, it, it, it just didn't fit. And I can understand that. I thought Kyle did a good job, Kyle Shanahan, of explaining that it had nothing to do with his personality, his character uh, as a man, or even his talents as a coach. It just, it was one of those deals where he had to learn a new defensive system that they've been playing under Salah and Ryans. And it just didn't fit the way coached and I think the Nuggets have to look at a, you know a couple of their bench players if they want more from the bench and say you know when they're in there we need to push the pace yeah. a little more and maybe pressure a little more defensively maybe get out and run especially at home early in games there's no reason the Nuggets should be getting blown out as often as, as they have. And I'd say often. Eight times in 54 games, I think, works out to something below 15%. Slightly below 15%. So it's it's not like they're getting blown out on a regular basis. Uh, or even that most of their losses are blowouts. They've lost 18. Eight were one-sided and 10 were close. Could have probably gone either way. Uh, but uh, it, the other thing about the Nuggets is that this, the game has changed this year. The, their net rating is better this year than it was last year hmm. at this time. But their ranking has fallen from sixth to ninth. I think the league is better this year. The best yeah, teams are better than the best teams were last year. Offensive rating is up this year, but last year they were fifth, and this year they're twelfth. Their defensive rating is actually worse this year 
Last year, they were 15th, and this year they're 11th, giving up 114 points per 100 possessions. Last year it was 113.5, and this year their rating is better because the games are higher scoring, there's more offense in the game. So you can be relatively worse defensively than you were a year ago and still have a higher ranking. Defensively and offensively, conversely, you can be almost a full point better per 100 possessions, and you go from the fifth best offensive team in the league to the 12th best offensive team in the league. That's how much scoring is up. And to me, you have to, it's like passing to score in football. You have to run to score big in the NBA. And in the last couple of games where they've been throttled, Nuggets haven't been able to score. Right. 95 points the other night in Milwaukee, for well, example. Good news potentially tonight. Michael Porter Jr. in his seven games against the Kings in his entire career has averaged 20.4 points and 7.3 points. It's a good matchup he's for him, been don't very, you think? He's been very good against the Kings uh, good over matchup. the course of his whole career. So you know, he's, one a, of those. he's matched up against and, Harrison and, Barnes and, and, or one of the guards. Out of those seven games, he's scored 30 points twice out of seven games. So Porter Jr. has had a, a pretty good run against the Kings. Yeah. Maybe this might be one of those games for him tonight, hopefully. We'll find out, of course, when they tip it off. That is a home game, 7 p.m. tonight. The Nuggets will try to get the win and avoid that three-game losing streak, but they will go into the break regardless after the game. I want to remind you over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. Now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you'll score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy alluded to it. Some uh, fallout from the Super Bowl. The defensive coordinators of the two Super Bowl contestants going in very, very different directions as in one going to another team, presumably, the other going to the bank to drop off uh, a brand new fat paycheck. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Look into your heart and you'll find love, 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 love. Listen to the music of the moment people dance and sing. We're just one big family and it's our God forsaken right to be loved, love, love, love. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. The Super Bowl Sunday fallout continues for a couple of defensive coordinators as the game really uh, hinged on that. Not only in the early going, but it, it, it throughout the entire game, obviously, it was an important part of the way that the 49ers got out to their lead, a terrific defensive performance in the first half that really limited the Chiefs, but it did not happen to save defense coordinator Steve Wilkes' job. Wilkes end up being dismissed after only one season as the defensive coordinator, and certain numbers did drop, but at the same time, remember, D'Amico Ryans was the defensive coordinator that left to take over the Texans, and prior to that, Robert Sala was the defensive right. coordinator left up to take over the Jets. So that's and, a, those are tough acts to follow. And in Wilkes' case, it was tough to follow anyway, but in Wilkes' case, he wasn't asked to run 
his own defense. Nope. He was asked to sustain the defense that Sala and Ryan's ran. A little bit like Vance Joseph. It's a bit of a tough ask. And I, I do like that Kyle Shanahan sort of took the heat from it. I don't know if that's any consolation for Steve Wilkes. I, I don't imagine it's much consolation, but Steve Wilkes has been around. And actually, I thought it was more unfair to Steve Wilkes when he didn't get serious consideration for the Carolina job last year after coming in during the season as an interim head coach and doing what I thought was a more than respectable job. And they effectively fired him anyway. I thought that was a lot more unfair. Uh, He knew what he was getting into because the two previous defensive coordinators were Salah and Ryans, and they ran the same defense. So you weren't going to ask the players basically the same players to learn a new defense. You were going to have Wilkes learn the 49er defense. And the other thing that I thought was a disadvantage for Wilkes is that his background is a, is as a defensive secondary coach, not a linebackers coach, not a defensive line coach, the secondary coach. So marrying, if you're a secondary coach, and this is where Vance Joseph comes in too, I think marrying the secondary to the front seven is harder than going the other way. By the time and, the... Uh... And, and, and listen, Ryan's last year coordinated the defense that was first in the NFL in EPA per play allowed. And in run defense, the 49ers last year were second. This year, they went from first to 12th in EPA per play defensively and from second to 26th against the run. And get this. And you can see the, that yeah. in the NFC you can see it playoffs. In the, yeah, entire playoffs. Uh, the Packers, the Lions, and Kansas City Chiefs, the three teams that they played in their three playoff games, averaged 5.1 yards per carry and 149 They did a good job on Pacheco. They did but do otherwise, a good job on Pacheco, but not, they had a difficult time with virtually other, everybody else. Right. I mean, everybody Detroit else had a field them. day. Uh, and even even uh, Aaron Jones and the, and the Packers did as well. well. I you know listen. The the interesting question to ask is: Had the Forty ers held on either at the end of regulation or in overtime, would they have fired Steve Wilkes? Would have been, been hard to I do. I kind of think it would have been hard, but I think they would have done it. And would Spagnola have gotten a raise, win or lose? I kind of think he would have I for the too. body of work. And now that they've won, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Right. Contrast extension for Steve Peggs, Magnolo in Kansas City. Of course, it was the – and we talk about defenses nowadays, right, about what the actual goal in defenses is. If you want to look at the stats that really matter, they were second best in the league in scoring. And you're averaging only 100 – pardon me, you're allowing only 17.3 points per game in total for a team that we consider – Offensive. Keep this in mind. During the playoffs, the four teams they faced were four of the six highest scoring teams in the league. All four of them were held to below their season average. Well below. By, by, the, by the Chiefs defense in the playoffs. That is remarkable. Not only were they good all year, they turned it up during the playoffs. And you started mentioning that, Sandy, at the tail end of the year. Yeah. That this is... 
Uh, it's not the 2015 Broncos <laughs> no, because no. you still have Patrick Mahomes no. and Kelsey no. and all that. Right. But but it is a defense first team yes. that just basically is holding teams steady to allow Mahomes to do his thing and steal the game. And that's in the end what they did and what they did in the Super Bowl. You pointed it out. And, and it's it's a tough thing for Wilkes. It's also tough for Shanahan. The San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl had a double digit lead, a halftime a late fourth quarter lead, a lead in the overtime, and still lost the football game. And I dare say in the history of the Super Bowl, and there I will be many, many more, that that I'm confident happened. that won't happen again. It doesn't happen. It, it not only hasn't happened. A regular season it, game. it hasn't happened before. It will never happen again. It's like the Rockies run in 2007. It had never happened before, never happened again. And it's it's just one of those things you kind of sit back and you say, I, I don't know that the 49ers did all that much that was wrong. That's just a tribute to the competitive qualities of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's all that is. And it, it's a tribute to Mahomes and also to their defense because on the first drive of the game, they looked vulnerable. Didn't they to you? Yep. First time I've seen... In months, the Kansas City defense put it on the ground. vulnerable, and McCaffrey fumbles. Yep. And after that, the game, even the game after may have turnovers, been totally even after turnovers, the 49ers couldn't do anything. Right. And uh, obviously, Purdy played well, and they uh, they got a touchdown drive late. And of course, they missed the extra point, which affected the game. I'm not saying uh, yeah, it, it cost them the game. But it definitely affected the game and making things easier for Kansas City. 16 to 13 is a good deal easier to overcome than 17 to 13 would be. Uh, now, the Chiefs might have won anyway, but it made it easier. And, you know, it, the, I thought Barnwell did a good job framing the game for ESPN.com the other day when he mm-hmm. said the first three quarters for both teams. Strengths became weaknesses, and weaknesses became strengths. And then the fourth quarter and the overtime happened, and at least on the Kansas City side, strengths were strengths, (laughs) and weaknesses continued to be, well, not so weak. No. (laughs) Keep in mind, too, with the Chiefs, with how good they were, and for Broncos fans, this probably isn't great news. The Chiefs' defensive Starters were the youngest in the league, an average of 25.4 years old. That's That not only was one of the best defenses in the league and unbelievably clutch in the playoffs, but not, not among the youngest, the youngest. I mean, this is it. This is the youngest defensive team in the league. And uh, they, who knows? Now, losing Chris Jones certainly does not make them better, but it would make them even younger. And... It's just an example of showing how hard it's going to be in the upcoming years to get over the Kansas City Chiefs. Even when they're wobbly, like we saw at times this year, even when they're sleepwalking through games, like they did this year against the Broncos, among others, that they are now so battle-tested. And at the top, with Mahomes, with Kelsey, with Jones, with Bolton, with Snead, with Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo, who's been there, by the way, for eight years. They're going to be incredibly difficult to unseat. 
because as we've watched in this playoffs alone, there really isn't a game situation that throws them off. And that is something you can't really teach. It takes experience. This team has all that experience. And you can find yourself up on the Kansas City Chiefs in the fourth quarter. You're going to get the same poker face from Andy Reid. You're going to get the same look from Patrick Mahomes. Because they've been there and they've done that. Mahomes' record now went down double digits is 9-2. and two. That's ludicrous. And so it, it just illustrates how incredibly difficult. Youngest defense in the league. Best quarterback in the league. I think at this point, probably fair to say, best head coach in the league. Bill Belichick doesn't have a job. He'd be the only guy I think you could even make the argument. So, I mean, where are the holes? Best tight end in the league. We went over the numbers that Kelsey's had in his career in the playoffs. They're silly. They'd be league-leading numbers among all receivers in less than a season's worth of games. There are vulnerabilities with the Chiefs, yes. Well, they are with any team. But this team is so well-positioned to overcome the in-game lapses or even the in-season lapses and get it all tuned in by the time the playoffs rolls around. Even for the Broncos, don't even worry about what the Chiefs do in the playoffs because you're not there. you got to try to find a way to get there. The hill is Everest-sized, and it's not going away. Mahomes is 28. They have the youngest defense in the league yikes and they have an outstanding front office uh a young general manager um i don't think they'll be able to keep chris jones but if any organization can figure out a way it's kansas city now i say that because they tried to do a long-term extension before last season began and they couldn't get it done and obviously it lingered into this season where jones was considering a holdout you know, and it's right. um, it, they have to find a way to get it done. That said, nothing like Chris Jones probably fairly saying in our last two Super Bowl wins, you could make the argument that I should have been MVP. And Chris both of Jones them. deserves to be paid, but we, we use that phrase in sports. Well, just pay the guy in in Dallas. You know, well, just pay Dak Prescott. Just pay him. What's well, more not complicated paying. than that? It's more complicated than that. With Prescott, the highest cap figure this year in the league was Mahomes at $37.1 million. Next year for Prescott, it would be 59.4. Right. Now, why do a long-term deal now if you're Prescott? You're set to make almost $60 million next year. But at $60 million, that would count against the cap. That That's... More than twenty million, more than the highest cap figure from this year. And how about and, this? And so, and with Chris Jones, I mean, he's been primarily, if not obviously exclusively, responsible for your winning two Super Bowls. He's well within as good as as right to say and it's time to pay me top dollar. I do not think they win the Super Bowl without Chris Jones. I don't think they win the Super Bowl. They didn't win the. They wouldn't have won the last one right. without him either. Dak Prescott, though, you bring that up. The adjusted EPA, the adjusted expected points added per play, is so one of the stats you talked about with the uh, 49ers D. Quarterbacks over the last two seasons now, the 2022 yeah. and 2023 season, Dak Prescott in adjusted EPA per play, number one in the league, number one. 
And uh, I get it. Cowboys fans are, are frustrated sometimes about it. And I think people look at the, the flaws. But that number is what that number is. And it's over a two-year span. And he has been the most productive quarterback in the league. And so, yeah, he's going he's gonna to get big money. If you're Chris Jones, I, I still think maybe Aaron Donald is the best. If he is, it's not by much. Oh, it's not by much. Not and, anymore. And, and, and Jones has a few years on Donald. Right. I, Joe, I, again, I look at guys like Chris Jones who play in a lot of big games, and I look to see how they play, and he always plays well in big games. I mean, there isn't any exception that I can think of. No. During the regular season, are there times where you feel he perhaps paces himself, takes a few games off here and there? Yeah, maybe. In the playoffs, never. Never. Aaron Donald tops those lists, by the way, coming into next season with a cap number next year of $34.1 million. Well, that's where Jones wants Eric to be. Armstead behind him at $28 million. And Armstead's undergoing knee surgery. Jones right. is not undergoing any this surgery. Year, Jones this year made 800000 more than Aaron Donald, 26.8 to 26. Donald's number yeah. takes a big leap forward. I think Jones is going to want Jones to match wants, or perhaps even slightly exceed Donald again because he's Jones the one standing there with two Super Bowl rings. And the truth is, he'll and he probably get it. get it. Yeah, And it Somebody just depends it, uh, who and if it ends up being with the Chiefs or otherwise. We'll find out. Of course, the Denver Broncos Hill is steep, as I illustrated. As the mock drafts start flying, everybody's on the Broncos picking a quarterback. Well, we'll talk as to about why that might be the case or why that might not be the case. But when everybody around the country thinks the Broncos need a quarterback, Broncos do probably need a quarterback. I think we know that. We'll talk about it with Fox 31's Aaron Anderson next on Mile High Sports. Find somebody to love.